No, real quick. I bored no, dude, don't threaten me when we're talking about this stuff. I will fuck you up, Ashton. Don't say one more thing about that. No, just shut your mouth right now, Ashton. I'm warning you. That's your. This is your last warning. Don't talk about me, dude. No, seriously. Hey, guys. Smith, welcome back to the Grit, June eighth, two thousand eighteen. What a day, David Lee Scales. What a week. What a couple weeks, man. No kidding. What a week coming up here, too. You're in the thick of it. In the thick of it. It's an exciting week coming up here. I was just saying, you look disheveled when you stormed in to the Surfrider Foundation this morning. God bless the Surfrider Foundation. Uh, shout out to Lindsay for hooking up the quiet room, surfrider.org. Obviously, I think listeners are probably well aware of all the good work they do, but they also um, allow us to host our podcast here. Fantastic. A studio space. So when, amazing. When you pass a uh, car with a Surfrider sticker on it, do you have like a nice warm feeling in your heart? Actually, I do. I feel a connectedness. I do too. There's a bit of a tribe mentality of like, I don't throw them a shocker or anything insane, no, no. but... I, yeah, I'm proud of it. I feel sure. a certain sense of pride, I would say. Sure. Fantastic. It's a fantastic organization. Yeah. I reckon you could pull, if you're a single man, I reckon you could pull more chicks, like a sizable percentage. I bet even like, I bet you could do 8% better, 8 to 12% better with simply by affixing a Surfrider Foundation sticker to your car. What if you put a puppy in the passenger seat? I think that would raise, if you have a Surfrider and a puppy, I think you're all the way up to 23% better guaranteed guaranteed 23 percent better i agree with that um you own a car firstly that's sure. a good thing yep then you got the puppy and the surf rider means number one you're probably athletic you're environmentally minded and then you're charitable and, and also you have the capacity to love and to be love in return dang deep yep two minutes in there so we go. deep um well thanks surf rider foundation why are you disheveled Oh, oof, oof. Well, on <laughs> Tuesday, June 12th, uh, while Donald J. Trump and Kim Jong-un are meeting in Singapore, uh, cocaine plus surfing gets unleashed onto the world officially. So I think it's, I mean, you can, uh, everybody, or it's been able to be pre-ordered, of course, for a while. And I think there's like a sneaky back door where if you want to read it days ahead of time, you can go on to Apple uh, at iBooks, it oh, really? is um, yeah, it's download downloadable immediately at iBooks. So Amazing. Okay, it's there. But on Tuesday is the official launch, and uh, I have a reading at Warwick's in La Jolla on Tuesday evening at seven thirty. If you've never been to Warwick's, it's one of those fantastic kind of original bookstores. The pre um, uh, Barnes and Noble kind of Amazon deal. Uh, Bill Finnegan read his book there, so it's. It's got a good, good little history. So I'll be there Amazing. June 12th at 7.30 if you want to come. Um, I would love to say hi to every and any one of you. And then the day later, I think, uh, I get on a plane alongside, I guess we're not getting on the same plane, but um, alongside David Lee Scales here and Matt Warshaw, and we're flying to Florida for the fantastic Florida Surf Film Festival, which I can't wait. I can't wait for that. Yeah, me you? too. I'm excited. very excited about that. Um, so we'll be there. Obviously, you're debuting. It's the world premiere. It's the world premiere of Lisa Anderson, uh, Trouble, the Lisa Anderson story. 
Um, yeah, it's been a, a bit of a rocky road, but we're, uh, the film is not quite finished. So the people who come get to see a behind the, behind the curtain look okay. at a, a beautiful person. And you're directing the film. I directed the film. Yeah. I directed the film and, uh, yeah, my only disappointment in this week, this upcoming week is that Jesse Schluntz, the editor of the film will not be able to be there. He's in Bummer. Montana, but yeah, he, okay. it, Jesse, Jesse Schluntz gets all the credit in the entire world he i came to him with an absolute mess on my hands and he made the thing sing so yeah i can't i can't praise him enough so you have a book being released and a film being released in the same week within two days of each other how crazy is that yeah it was a i was thinking about it on the way up and if i would have known yeah i don't know how this happened i will not do this again i I don't think this yeah i mean because now is the fun part right i mean going to the book launch and release is great but i was thinking back a couple months ago while i was scrambling crazily back and forth on them uh how just yeah it'll do your head in that kind of thing um it's i mean obviously it wasn't planned to release both things at the same time no and it wasn't and it wasn't necessarily even planned to be working on both things at the same time both kind of accidentally happened i feel and and accidentally happened at the exact same time right um well, you want to be able to live in the moment with things. And I, it's kind of a bummer because doing that reading, you're going to be distracted by having to hop on a plane the next day and thinking about re- debuting the film and all that sort of stuff. Totally, but it's kind of a bummer. Uh, but it's good that uh, I remember Welcome to Paradise when that came out. I was, I didn't enjoy the, Like I was so uh, in my mind, was so ready to do the next book uh, yeah. that I didn't really enjoy yeah. the premiere of it. Like I was just already on to the next thing. And for this one, I'm at least taking that one day to, to enjoy uh, just, just having finished something. Good. Cause so much work goes into it. It's a shame if it just kind of you hit the deadline and then it's over just and you're it, rushing on to the next thing. Which is always my inclination. I'm always just thinking about the next thing, like, and yeah. not really enjoying the thing in the moment. Uh, but this one, this one I've, yeah, after, after the welcome to paradise kind of you know, launch tour kind of stuff wound down. I, I remember thinking, wow, I'm, I basically missed it because I was just thinking about what I was doing ne- next. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I can't even really remember. See, I was having this conversation this morning, actually. Um, I don't have spikes of happiness. I, my girlfriend was like, oh, are you excited about this weekend? And I was like, no, I don't even know what excitement is. Like, I don't feel excitement in my life, but I also don't feel depression, depression hardly Ooh. at all. I just kind of have this even keel mentality, which people probably are well aware of by listening to this. But but my resting state, I think, is higher than most people. Okay, Like, I feel just a general Joy. happiness or certainly a satisfaction, just like a general goodness every day. What percentage of that do you attribute to Spy's Happy Lens? Oh, that is a great segue. I would um, probably your 8% from the Surfrider Foundation okay. sticker. Wow. If so we compile all these things together. I think you could be super, you could be <laughs> way happier with a babe and a generally better life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so do, do you wish you could feel spikes of spikes a of little, happiness? A little bit. When I interact, um, with people, you know, somebody will, I'll be at lunch with somebody and they're just like, Oh my God, this is the best sandwich I've ever had in my life. And I'm thinking, you said that last time we had lunch mm, together. A cynic. No, no. Who's the cynic in that scenario? I think you are. Really? I mean, you're cynically, you're cynically saying, Hey buddy, like calm down. I'm paying attention to what you're saying. I heard you say that last week. So it can't be true this week, either that or no, you're no, no. getting too excited. The opposite. I recognize 
that last it was true both times for them okay last week was the best sandwich they ever had in their life and this is now the best sandwich okay. they ever had in their life because they experience it with that much joy and excitement life is that exciting to that person gotcha gotcha but then i also find that same person crying when you know uh whatever a news story comes on about somebody who there was a hit and run or something like that which i don't experience that either okay so to trade off i'm but to answer your question i'm a little bit jealous of that person yeah i want to experience that you know i have a recommendation for you hit yeah hit me drugs what kind i mean i don't know i think you could take a bunch of coke probably and get pretty pretty up uh and then mellow it out way later maybe i mean not at the same time we don't want any flooded hearts and death but mm. I would imagine you could, uh, you know, I'm not a good, a big one on the downers. So somebody else, maybe, maybe a listener can, can call in and give some recommendations for downers. You could have fooled me because <laughs> I think alcohol is officially a it's depressant. True. I think officially it is, but I don't believe it for one second. Really? If you look, I can't, I challenge the, the greatest scientist on earth to look me in the eye and tell me that tequila is a downer. Hmm. Well, okay. It's an upper in the moment. I mean, sure, but you I mean, might lower your overall kind of mood. I mean, I'm saying, though, that I think that, sure, alcohol, I guess, you know, whatever, it, it ticks the boxes for what being a downer is, uh, like, you know, dilates your blood vessels and okay. and all that kind of stuff. But I think the mood of tequila, uh, for example, is is not a downer mood, right? Well, no, it's when it's in your system, jittery mood, when it's initially in your system. But how long does that last? I mean, as long as anything, right? I think like anything, even, even, uh, like if you do a bunch of Coke, you're going to come down eventually and feel depressed afterwards. But so that's my point is the hangover of tequila lasts as long as the initial intake. Lasted. Oh, sure. Yeah. So how do you weigh those things out? And then after it's gone, are you more, is your resting state elevated or well, that decreased? Maybe that's all you need is tequila. Then maybe you can just get mm. super up on tequila. And then as it, as it leaves your body super down and cry about the hit and run story. Was this um, you advocating for cocaine, my cocaine usage, just a thinly veiled disguise for you pushing your book one more time on exactly, the show? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I bought it yesterday, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, I David. pre-ordered. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Um, you're welcome. I'm excited uh, to receive it. So, But we will, both you and I will be at the Florida Surf Film Festival. Let's not step sure. on that no, story. No, no, I, I can't wait. Honestly, I'm... I'm Tickets are available. Yep. I think it's Friday night. It's Father's Day weekend. So Friday night, we're going to be in New Smyrna. I believe it's New Berna. And then Saturday, Jacksonville Beach. And there's a number of short films that will be playing for the first hour or two. And then the world premiere, of course, of Trouble, the Lisa Anderson biopic. And Matt Warshaw is going to be there with us. And we're going to do a Q&A after. I'm going to host the Q&A with you and Warshaw. Um, kind of an informal conversation about the film and obviously uh, kind of a spinoff of this show. We will record it and make that available to listeners. So if you're not there live, you can still listen to that later. But if anybody is on the Eastern Seaboard, please come yeah. because it's, got, it's fun, to, fun to hang out. And purchase tickets in advance too. I'll post it on uh, the link to that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And I think Chaz has posted it I'll post on it. social media. I'll post too. it today on my socials. So um, speaking of alcohol intake, you... You got sauced on our last show. I did. The big debate with Todd I, Richards. I did. I got I got How'd boozy. That go? Yeah, it was good. I mean Yeah, did you recover? No, I it was after after everybody left and the the dust cleared the air, um, I had to really ponder, okay, what am I gonna do now? Because it was 
what time? It would have been 11 probably. Well, yeah, we started at 10. We were done by 11.30. Yeah, 11.30. So I was heavily boozed by 11.30. And what do you do from that point? Uh, And I played through really consistently nice. I think I stopped drinking Bloody Marys and went down to just some vodka sodas and and spaced them out and basically stayed drunk for 12 hours. Wow. So through the rest of the night. Through the, through the, but I, but I tapered just exactly right. I think I probably ended with beers at some point because I, I woke up the next morning feeling right as rain. Really? I think that's so. what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You're a professional. That's, that's what the that thing. is. I mean, and that's the, that's a little secret. Any, any true drinker out there knows that once you drink enough, hangovers go away. Like you wake up in the morning feeling forgetful or not the greatest, but maybe you've woken up every morning feeling not the greatest if you're a heavy drinker. So it's just par for the course. Uh, hydration is key as well. Hydration. How'd you feel about that? Uh, Todd Richards episode, the 360 540 debate. So here's the dang thing afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I totally, that whole time I was still vaguely confused, right? Like the, uh, the one that like, what uh, I'm stuttering now, but the, okay. I was, I was super confused. Totally agreed with you. I had the revelation after that Todd's right. What? It's because of straight air here. I'm going to give you, do you want the revelation from the mountaintop? Sure. Are what, you, who's the mountaintop? The mountaintop is is the, You're, where is, you landed. Is the truth? Yeah. Okay. Hit me. There's no such thing as a straight air. A straight air is a 180. You go up and down, and that's a 180. No, that's incorrect. That's. I mean, that's a 180. Even the video that Todd pulled up and showed, where it's like, here's skaters and snowboarders doing a 180. I'm going, yeah, that's exactly what that is. Here's a surfer doing the same thing, 180. And I'm like, no, the surfer's not doing the same thing. I think I believe the surfer is doing a 180 when he goes up and down. That's a 180. That's a 180 degree turn because he's up. If they're and then turning, he turns then it is one, in the air though. You're always turning because not you got you got to land no. on the wave. So you're going up no. and down. That's not up, true. And uh, okay, it doesn't have to be exactly a 180, but it's definitely a one something. Like you're going, no. you're going up at some angle and coming. There's a turn in your from nobody's nobody's launching straight. Yes, they are. Okay, all the, all the time. So that's the problem. I think is everybody's viewing the wave as as Todd was saying. He's like, oh, it's a moving ramp, and everybody just co-signs it. Like, yeah, moving ramp. It's not a moving ramp at all, actually. It's entirely different. And the way that the lip is hitting, like pitching, and you're hitting that, you're actually not rotating at all. Or we have to look at individual airs, first of all, because there's probably plenty where people are rotating. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. But there is such a thing as a straight air where there's no rotation at all. A guy hits the lip, goes straight, and lands in the same exact position that he landed. But but it's not about where, it's what you're doing in the air. There's always some kind of minor turn in the air. Nobody goes like this and then this, right? That would be straight. They do. and down. Up and down. Okay, we have to put this on the, uh, on Surf Splendor website. Yeah. The, uh, like that's what I, but once, so I've, I've accepted though, that a straight air is a 180. And if that's a 180, then every, then Todd and Cote are right down the line. Yeah. That's the problem is they're jumping off from the wrong point. But, but like, I really defy you to show me a straight air. That's actually no, no rotation in it. I'll send you dozens. Okay. I can't wait Happens to see all the time. This is going to be real fun. <laughs> I like You're going to come back off the mountaintop? I'm, I'm going to come. No, I, I firmly believe in my mind I can't picture a straight oh, air. Okay. I'll show you. Okay. Um, well, I got an email from a listener, and this email is actually going to tee up the entire rest of the episode. This is going to be arguably the most important episode of The Grit we've ever done. I can't wait. Because we're going to get into really important topics. Everything we ever do on here is superficial. We're going to cover race, sexism. Yes. 
all the hot button issues that's in the news at large and now infiltrating the surf world. And um, all teed off by this email right now. Um, I'll leave the writer nameless, but he said, just listen to the last episode. I was particularly amused that Chaz found the word Mongo so awesome as a linguistics major. Oh, no. Where did the word come from in uh, where did the word come from in skateboarding? Mongoloid. I know. Right. So my sincere question is is it is it racist? I know Mongo from Blazing Saddles no. and the term Mongo has been used in the past as another word for retard related to the word mongoloid, which is obviously racist. What are your thoughts? Keep up the good pod. I feel like I've now poked the bear, but go ahead and bring it, Chaz. Okay. I mean, this one's real easy. It is Mongo is a totally offensive term. I'm not saying that it's not offensive, but I'm also saying it's totally awesome. It definitely comes from mongoloid as in retard, as in you're kicking like a retard. But uh, retards were called mongoloids for a a long time, not based on, um, I do believe it's actually, uh, people with down syndrome and I think it, and I think it has something to do with the way I can't remember why they were called mongoloids and it's probably is somehow superficially related to, to racism, but it's, I mean, to the fact that they look Asiatic probably, um, or, you know, maybe have squintier eyes or something like that, but it's, but it's a, it was like an early, you know, not that the not that the early science community, which eventually gave us eugenics and Hitler at some point, uh, but but that's where it, that's where it's from. Totally yeah, offensive. You nailed, you nailed it. I looked. I googled the definition. Of course, uh, Google says related to a broad division of human uh, humankind, including the indigenous people of Eastern Asia, Southeast Asia, and the Arctic region of North America. That was the first definition. The second one is having Down syndrome. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Both so both are listed as dated and offensive by it's, Google. It's totally gross. And so as is kicking Mongo, but it's such a fun way to, I mean, it's a word that skateboarding has that I don't know that there, I'm sure there is an equivalent in surf, like a, a completely offensive thing. I mean, maybe kook even is, right? Like I think, doesn't what does kook mean? In Hawaiian, it means something. Hmm. What, whale penis or oh, that's dork. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the origins of kook are. That's a good question. I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's offensive. Oh um, yeah, I can't remember. It's maybe it's just a bad. Maybe it was just a bad Hawaiian word. Yeah, I'm not sure. I still love it. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm dying on the Mongo Mountain. I mean, I guess it. It gets to the point. Words evolve, right? And it gets to the point where like you don't even most people using that term don't know its origin and they don't even know its offensiveness which not that that gives you a right to use offensive terms ignorance isn't you know an excuse but it's almost um a good thing that that word has lost so much of its power okay, you know I, mean, kick I, mean? It, I mean that's what i think and i i wonder sometimes and uh, i'm probably totally wrong but even words like gay and stuff like that is when everybody jumps on them and gives them power back. Like right. I, I sometimes wonder if you just let it go its course, if gay would eventually become, you know, come to mean stupid and homosexuals would not use the term gay anymore. It would just, that would not be a reference to, you know, that it wouldn't be a self-ascribed thing. Nobody would say gay. It would just be this new word for stupid and it would have its origin in the mists of time, which I guess is just as offensive and awful and everything. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's a... I don't know either. It's going to come up repeatedly through this show, so um, we're not done with the topic. Are we talking about m- more mongos? We're not talking about... No, we're talking about your article on Bobby Kim about um, hmm. racial diversity yeah. and how that could actually benefit the bottom line of the surf industry. We're going to talk about the um, article that was written on the inertia by... 
Costa Rican female surfer that spun out of control. And then Jen C wrote an article on beach grit kind of in response. Um, before we get into those things, do you want to do the spy grumpy giveaway? Yeah, I have, I have a shocker here. Really? I have a sneaker. Okay, I've got a bunch too. So we're going to have to distill it down and pick a winner. Okay. So Spy obviously supports this show and this particular segment. We love the comment section. Um, not certainly on Beach Grit, but comment sections everywhere are now beautiful among my favorite things. Beautiful, beautiful gardens. I don't even care about the the article itself oftentimes. Who does? Uh, so we, we love to reward engagement and um, Spy creates the happy lens, which lets the good light in, blocks the bad light out. It elevates and stimulates your mood. So we reward people for leaving uh, negative comments and by giving them a pair of spy sunglasses to help elevate their mood. So what, give me your sneaker. What's your, what's your tag? There's a, there was a clear winner this week, really? uh, but that person is not going to accept his sunglasses because he has plenty of spies. Thank you, spy. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, the, prize will go to the second place winner but i feel this week the grouchiest person was the person who climbed on to his high horse his high moral horse and kicked stab real hard in the nuts from a grouchy moralistic position that was yours truly chaz smith oh uh, <laughs> yeah writing shame on stab and wishing that hoping that all the advertisers will pull out and that the landlord will pull rent because those sons of bitches dared uh, publish a story about a poor Brazilian boy getting his uh, penis bit off by a shark as as clickbait. Re- tell me what did you read the story? I did. So, so I didn't read the story, and you said in your write up of it that they were actually making fun of the of kid they were. who got his penis. And that's a real thing. The guy got his penis bitten sure. off, and then he bled to death. Sure, was that the story? I mean, that's basically it. Okay, yeah. so. I guess that happened. And you said that their telling of it was they were making fun of the kid. And then I guess the comments section got so vitriolic that they had to shut it down. But then in your comments section, people were like, hey, you know, my reading of their article wasn't so much that they were making fun. They were just reporting the news. No, but you don't put as your headline, right? The, the making fun was all in the headline. You don't put in your headline the the total clickbait shocking, you know, Brazilian boy dies by getting his penis bitten off by a shark. Uh, and then offer condolences at the end, right? Like you're clearly going for clickbait sensationalism in the headline, which I'm all for, you know, I mean, you know, beach grit, that's all it is, is clickbait sensationalism. That one's a, it's was an ugly, would have been an ugly story no matter what, because the boy wasn't even a surfer, right? Like, so it, it was a shark attack that happened on somebody who wasn't a surfer, genuinely tragic for the family to run with the, the penis headline and then offer condolences at the end and put no name on. Uh, attribute no name to the story to me is just the author was anonymous. The author was anonymous, which is the, it's the ugliest thing stabs ever done, which to me pointed to a, a, just a very clear lack of leadership at the top. Nobody, nobody there is running the ship. It's just a, it's just a bunch of fucking cocksuckers throwing up stupid shit. That's what it's become. So it sounds like your, your, um, problem with the article is them offering the condolences at the end. If you're for the clickbait title. I wouldn't like Derek and I both read uh, or saw that story in the news, right? Independently of each other on different continents. I just like, it just, it sent shivers up my spine. How, how, how sad and tragic it was, frankly. And of course, beach grit looks like, you know, the the garden of, of where anything goes, goes. Um, 
But I think there's... Which garden is that, by the way? I mean, I guess the Garden of Eden, maybe? But I guess no, you couldn't eat the that fruit. That was more puritanical yeah. <laughs> up until the fruit got eaten. I want to know the garden you're talking about so I can pay it a visit. I, I feel there's ones in Turkey uh, in the in the old Pasha mm. days where anything went, went. Um, but I think... Was, Babel know, a gar- was there a garden of Babel? There was a tower or? in Babel. I know, yeah. Okay. I'm sure there was a, a There had to be somewhere. gardens yeah. there. How else did they eat? Those gardens. Uh, but I, I just thought it was... In all seriousness, I thought it was... a like if Stab would have stuck the from for my money, if they would have put the headline, uh, you know, no condolences and stuck a name on it, then I'd say, ooh, that's that's a rough one. But you know, have fun. Like that's if that's the what you guys want to do, then that's fine. Like it's not in the posting of the story. It was all three to me. It was the headline, offering condolences like you care, like you're not doing it purely for clickbait, uh, and then not attributing a name to it. So it was, a, it was the all those three, without those three sins, I wouldn't have said boo about it, right? It was those three sins to me, which which together like made the made the thing nefarious. Yeah, I I guess I, I did not read the article, so I can't really weigh in on those things. But I'm curious. Uh, clearly, you want stab to go away. You've made that crystal clear over the course of the year. Sure. Um, I don't feel that same. Like, I understand even if Stab makes a mistake or does something really egregious that is offensive, I don't think they need to lose their jobs over oh, it. Sure. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. And and to me, that's the that's why it's the wins the grouchy comment, right? Like to go, but I, I do so much love to be aggrieved sometimes. You know, I mean, I guess you don't. You're a, a passionless man. But <laughs> but really feeling the, the burn of like, oh, I, I both love feeling that and and sitting down and just pounding my keys like a lunatic. And I also love stepping outside of myself and totally mocking myself as I'm doing that. So I get like double the pleasure uh, when things like that happen, where I can be righteously indignant about something while also laughing at myself for being righteously indignant about something. Well, I've talked to listeners off air about this, about you. I don't know if you and I have ever even discussed it, but it's like, I think a lot of the time you're writing that article hoping that stab slings mud back because then it becomes something to do and it becomes a story and all that sort of stuff, but they never end up slinging mud back. You and, know? and and this time I've given up on them, right? I've yeah. given up on it. I, yeah, I don't yeah. go to stab anymore. I, frankly, I don't go to the inertia either. Like this was a, this was a, it was uh, a banner week. It was a banner week <laughs> to go back to the trough of stabbing the inertia. This week was a banner week, but this yeah, this really is the biggest week for you. The biggest month for you. It ever. is. It's huge. I'm going to be, I'm, going to be depressed when it's all done yeah big letdown yeah it's just like after the coke wears off yeah i thought just gonna be at home bummed okay well um yeah we obviously so, so can't pick a, award so, the sunglasses yeah, so, so to pick, you pick pick one of yours i have a few different directions i could go with this and i'll let you decide um i was thinking of just giving it to tara rutenberg mm. for her rage-filled article on the inertia i i agree i that's one option agree. don't commit yet are you sure well, she she said in there fuck you i'm going was a standalone sentence i believe and that was in regard to her burning people sure burning fuck, dudes fuck you i'm going right or yeah i've waited long enough fuck you i'm going and i say rage-filled article because that was jen's your gen c uh the writer on beach grit by the way does she live in southern california gen c sure does she lives she's i don't know if she yeah she's a santa barbara oh, lo- okay. local i was thinking it would have been so good to get her on today's show to weigh oh, in sure. on I mean, all this stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have Jen, Jen okay. C on soon. Okay, cool. Um, so her it's her words that her perspective on Tara's article was that it was rage-filled. And so I was like, all right, well, we could give it to Tara, but I'd like to also keep it in the Beach Grit family. Sure. So I've got a couple of other options for you. 
Jeff Bezos's eye has been doing some good work. Fantastic work. Fantastic work. Yeah, none of it that's really like negative or like poking, really like vitriolic, but he's doing good work. Solid work. So I like it. Um, Channel Bottom's response to Tara's article said he went to Tara's website and then uh, looked at her kind of biography section and he said Tara's passions include, quote, decolonizing sustainable surf tourism, end quote. He said, so don't go to the Maldives then. Another one of her passions is strengthening infrastructures for peace, end quote. So he's like, by encouraging people to drop in on one another. <laughs> like what's peaceful about that? That raises everybody's blood pressure. So I appreciated Channel Bottom's take on that, um, the hypocrisy of it. So that's an option. My third or fourth, I forget, final option, totally different direction. The positivity generator mm. is a new commenter on Beach Grit. Amazing. He showed up a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen much of him since, but he came in and just dropped positivity all over the place. He abandoned. Yeah. And so his, uh, my favorite quote was from him was on our last podcast post. And it said, David Lee scales, parents are to be congratulated. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No context. No, nothing. <laughs> I didn't even, I was going to send it to my parents. I didn't, but uh, totally um, awesome. So it's kind of like, I want to honor that a little bit. I mean, maybe, but it's against what we're doing with the spies. It's true. It's true. I I really love what uh, he's doing, but, or she's doing, but I think we have to give it to, to Tara. Okay. I mean, I think that that piece was, was as grouchy a piece I've read in my many days. So Tara Rutenberg, congratulations. You get a pair of sunglasses. surf. And I emailed you yesterday uh, to tell you, it turns out I actually know Tara. Which is, I was so excited to talk to you about it today on air. Crazy, right? Yeah, I was excited. It's weird when these things pop up. Like there's certainly, the surf industry is kind of incestuous and small and everybody kind of knows everybody. And certainly knows of one another if they've not met. Occasionally these stories pop up from this kind of fringe. And it's weird when you know people. Yeah. Um, My experience with her is that I've, gone to Costa Rica once a year in July for like the last five, six or seven years. And, um, that's where she lives. And so I've just interacted with her down there. She lives in the place that I visit and interacted with her and she has not been rage filled in all my experiences interacting with her. She is not rage filled at all. Um, I understand the, the perspective that she had in this piece that she wrote is definitely reflective of who she is, I think, Sure. but I didn't, I, I've never sensed any rage in her. Uh, I mean, so I was really confused, though, because to, to be quite honest and frank here, I thought the piece was great, right? Like, I I may not agree with her premise or how she's, you know, choosing to, um, whatever, carry it out. But uh, it was well written. It was well thought out. It was well, like the whole thing, it was a good piece, whether you agree with it or not, right? right. It was a good piece. So why did the inertia disappear it is my question. Like did, did, did I think it was because she threatened legal action against the inertia? Yeah, that's oh. what I gleaned from her comments on Instagram. So but, she but she's did she not give them the story to she gave okay so she gave them the story to publish and they did. So I see an Instagram post from her a week ago and it's like hey look go check out my piece on the inertia. All right cool I didn't yeah. read it. Uh, a couple days later she posts this super long diatribe of like um screw the inertia. I'm never going to write for them again. I guess somebody wrote a rebuttal piece to her article that the inertia posted. And she felt some of the language in that rebuttal piece were defamatory against her. Well, that's and not they fair. took, and they took her 
the writer of that rebuttal piece um, misquoted her. And so she felt, hey, this new author is unfairly representing what I was saying. So then she sent a cease and desist. This was all based on her own Instagram captions. Wow. She sent a cease and desist to the inertia. The inertia didn't really respond initially. And then they agreed that they would take down that piece. And then she posted another Instagram with another caption going like, you know, placating me isn't enough, basically. Uh-oh. Like, you need to so, really take action in this see, and stand that, up for the women's rights. And blah, blah, blah. Which is exactly why the inertia should not have taken down the piece. Agreed. Like, entirely. that's the, I mean, the spineless little man over there should yeah. have just said, I mean, you you wrote a piece for us. We put the piece up and there's a rebuttal. Like, right. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, if she's going to be that thin skinned about a rebuttal piece, yeah. then that's, that's, I mean, I thought, okay, she wrote this piece. My impression. She wrote this piece. Uh, got put in the inertia. I'm sure the... Comments were, you know, I, I would imagine would have, would have been mixed, but probably mostly negative. They were mostly negative. Yep. And she was chiming in with the comments. Sure, which I'm sure would have, back. yeah, would have throw, throwing some fire on that gasoline. And I know that Zach and the boys at the inertia, uh, you know, are, don't have very, very good stomachs. And so that's what it was. I yeah. Think. And so I thought they would have pulled it, you know, just right away based on, uh, oh, this is getting out of control. But there, it's even worse if they pull it because she is mad that, I mean, come on. Like It, it appears to be that's what happened. That's uh, pretty weak. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I think so too. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, when I was reading, again, just following along on her Instagram captions, I was like, this went sideways when she started threatening legal action and yeah. sending a cease and desist. And like, if I was the inertia, I would have never responded to anything she not. said. I would have left everything up and just been like, wow, she's obnoxious sure. and let's make sure that we don't post anything from her ever again. I mean, you know? and, and what like judge or court would say, oh yeah, you have a case here. You you wrote a piece for this website that you were proud about. They posted it. Uh, somebody else wrote another piece that you felt misquoted you. And so now you're threatening legal action. I mean, that's that's insane. Tara, and is her name Tara or Tara? I don't know, actually. It's a good question. You should do better. I'm, if you're listening to this, be better, be bigger. Well, the other issue is they... Um, deleted the rebuttal article and i've never seen it since uh it's on uh i i don't think it is that's true i'll ask i I sifted i have nice moles i'll find i mean they did delete it did you sift through the google cache yes 
I sifted through everything that your commenters on Beach Grit posted. I have where I got mine from was from a person who did not post on Beach Grit. Okay. So I'll I'll see if he can get me the the rebuttal. I'm sure was, he can. It might have been Jeff Bezos's eye who I mentioned. He might have posted it. I think it was him who posted it and saying, "Hey, here is he did." I dug up the and I clicked it, but it was not working. I, exactly, broken. that's the one I couldn't get to either. But I, yeah, I've got okay. I backdoored from another way, and I'm sure the same way has the the rebuttal there. So for the listeners who uh, did not read that article, basically, Tara um, did a trip to the Maldives and basically said that she. Um, is dropping in on guys with on men with impunity to kind of restore right equality. Yeah. To right the wrongs and restore equality in the lineup for all of the, you know, the patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. So I'll give you a couple of quotes um, from her article. She said, you think I'm wrong for dropping in. You think I should wait my turn. You think I should follow the status quo of surfing etiquette. Trust me. I've waited any woman in the ocean on a day with decent size like today has unquestionably waited her turn. We've waited in lineups that make us cry on days when only the boldest among us would dare drop in. We've waited while our brothers of the sea ogle our bodies and objectify the skin we surf in. Fuck you. We've waited. So you think I should wait my turn? I think you should wait one goddamn second and tell me what it feels like to be the only woman at the peak in the lineup of 50 middle-aged men in swollen seas and heavy winds, 10,711 miles from home. Let me know how that tastes on your tongue. Then you tell me to wait your turn. Wait my turn. I'm done waiting. I t- that tastes nice. That would taste nice on my tongue, to be honest. If I was the only woman in a sea of 50 men, I'd be hyped. Would you? For sure. Speaking, uh, okay, well, I think, uh, what did you think of Gen C's article? I thought Gen C's was was great. I mean, yeah. I think Gen C is a fantastic writer. I thought she was reasoned and reasonable and uh, genuine and honest. I thought, um, yeah, I think she really, you know, I remember when, it was Jen that I actually heard about Tara or Tara's article right. uh, the first time. She had texted me, I can't believe this, you know. Uh, and then by the time I went, I had some technological troubles this week. So by the time I actually went to the inertia, the story was gone. Right. So then I was, and then I was frustrated and angry, but yeah, thanks to whatever, it's well, back. But yeah, I thought Jen's I thought Jen's story was incredible. Gen C also, it's been a big month for Gen C. Gen C has the cover of the Red Bulletin this week. Oh, does cover she? Story. Is yeah. it a Chris, Carissa Moore Chris photo? Moore, yeah, with a, okay. with a Gen C story. So we should try to find that and put that on the podcast too. Okay, cool. Or on the website. Yeah, and so Jen's take was kind of like, look, um, go and battle it out with the dudes at the peak and fight your way into the pecking order like all the dudes had to do amongst themselves, you know, and basically smash down the door. Don't just burn, guys. Yeah. Um, I thought... Derek had an interesting spin on it. Did you see Derek's comment in the comment section? I did. Um, can you recap it? I mean, oh, okay. I got it right here. He said, is there a flip side? I've got a daughter and she seems to get a free pass everywhere. Special coaching, amazing prizes and surf contests with three other competitors, endless positive reinforcement, guys yelling for her to go, go, go. She tells me the only threat she's ever gotten in the water was from an older gal who told her she'd punch her out if she didn't shut the F up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting take too. Which I, I mean, and I think it's true, right? Like I don't and can't pretend to speak for women in the lineup. Uh, I know that I think, it, I think there's two different things happening here to be quite okay. fair. Uh, I think, and I don't know what, I mean, Tara is clearly talking about only the lineup. 
Um, I think the surf industry itself, right? So back over to Bobby Kim from uh, the hundreds, back to his, or not even back, we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> when yeah. do we get there? To his point, uh, he wrote, or was the speaker, or a featured speaker or something at the SEMA Surf Industry Manufacturer, Manufacturers Association uh, get together down in Cabo San Lucas. Right. And his point was, there's not enough diversity or you know, that, that surfing is suffering from lack of a lack of diversity. And he doesn't speak to women. He only uh, was speaking to ethnic diversity. Um, but I think that as far as the industry is concerned, yes, I think it's really, 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 really hard to be a woman in this damn industry. I think that they are, you know, unfairly like as bad as anything. I think that the surf world, uh, is, you know, an honest to goodness, similar, uh, replication of like, you know, the Mad Men era back in the, in the sixties. Like, I think it's pretty awful. I think it's pretty caustic. I think it's really, really hard for women to rise up the ladders of leadership. I think there's all kinds of roadblocks in the way that are, you know, I think half of them or 90% of them may even be totally subconscious, right? Like it's, it's, Absolutely. it's a boys club. That's what it is. And it is the surf industry. Make no mistake is a boys club. And I, you know, I can't imagine how difficult it is to be a woman in the surf industry. The surf lineup, on the other hand, w- around where I surf, like, you know, I surf with my wife uh, or <laughs> used to surf with my wife quite a bit, right? And I don't think she's ever felt hassled because she's a woman. I think she gets bummed on kooks who drop in or when she's been burned or whatever. But like, it does seem like, you know, her place uh, where we surf is totally assured. Right. And so I would imagine some places are different than others, but yeah. where I've seen surf and, and I, I will totally agree with Derek in the lineup itself. I haven't seen personally, but again, I'm not a woman, but I haven't seen like women, uh, gone after though. I did think Mikey Ciamarella had an, had a great comment. He's at stab. I just wished that he lost his job, but he can get it back after this comment. Uh, he said very honestly and openly, um, about how, like if he's going to be true when he sees a woman in the lineup, uh, if it's like, you know, a, a bigger day or whatever, he'll kind of back paddle her to get to the peak, uh, or paddle around him more often than not. And then, yeah, basically j- just assuming they can't catch the wave. And he said, you know, more often than not, he's, his assumption is proven true. Uh, but he feels bad for having that assumption. And so, you know, what do you do with that? Right? Like where I think that at some level, if you're, Mike, or to speak to Mikey's point, I would say just don't like stop, stop paddling around women. So it doesn't like just, I guess, or treat them like anybody else, right? That's give, the them, thing. give them the benefit of the doubt. If they blow, if you see them blow a couple waves, cause you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that to a guy. You would let a guy blow. No, I, and that's I would, not true. I would do it to a guy. I, I would do it to a guy after I watched him blow a wave. I mean, that's the thing. Mike, no, I'm going to, I'm going to battle it out. And then if they happen to blow, I'm going to battle it out firstly and foremostly. Sure. And they, they, if they back down off the paddle battle, then I know that they're less experienced or whatever, or less confident. And I could take advantage of them in that situation. Sure. And I, mean, I will. But if, but if somebody's sitting there, okay, if somebody, like, let's say you catch a wave, right? You catch a wave, you ride it, you're paddling back out the, you caught it next to a dude who's, who's back on the peak. Uh, you can choose now to paddle again, you know, to, to the takeoff spot. Right. Or you can. You know, I mean, typically I will, if I catch a wave, I'll come out. If there's a guy there, I'll paddle and sit behind him, right? Correct. Like, let him take that wave. Yes. If I see him blow that wave, though, or yeah. if I see that he's a kook once he's on the wave, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt until I see him go for something. Next time, if I see that, then I'll paddle around him to the, and sit sit up top of him, right? Like, right. But I let him blow the wave once, where I think that that just should be a rule of thumb, is doesn't matter what you're wearing, how you look, even what you're riding, unless you're riding a sup. 
people should be given the benefit of the doubt for one wave. And if they blow it or kook it or do something lame, then, you know, to have Adam like I think you're, you're right, though. There is a real separation between talking about what takes place in the surf industry and in the workplace versus what takes place in the lineup. And I, and I think the lineup is much more of a meritocracy than anything else, almost than anywhere else in the world. I agree. I mean, it's very much old school hunter gatherer and things sort themselves out. I don't make any special accommodation for women, nor do I treat them worse than I treat guys. I mean, and here's the thing, like, and you know, I don't know how good Tara surfs. I'm sure, I'm sure she surfs adequately or whatever. She definitely surfs adequately and like has definite ocean knowledge and can be on set waves, but she's not shredding. Sure. And then that's the thing. Like I've been out on, you know, good fun D street, which is not a, obviously a big shreddable wave down in, I mean, it's a shreddable wave, but it's not a big wave, but I've been out crowded D street when Coco Ho paddles out. The lineup basically parts for Coco. She surfs it so well. She rips the wave apart. Everybody's got their head cranked watching what she's going to do. She can basically take off on any wave she wants. And it's because she she rips. Like, Correct. It's not because she's, I mean, she's out there. Like, I'm watching her blow tail. And, like, it's it's, it's an amazing same, though, show that everybody's watching. Yeah, but it's the same as if a similar level male pro sure. surfer showed oh, yeah. up. Everybody would want to watch yeah, that, if too. Mick, if Mick Fanning paddled out, yeah. people would. And you, you give people you want to watch surf. Uh, wider berth and you know and then also those people are fantastic at you know riding a wave well I think also comes with it natively of being able to choose the best waves and all that kind of stuff right so I mean Tara unfortunately to to bitch and moan about what she was bitching and moaning about which is fine like I get again I think it was a well-written piece I just think that her premise is wrong and that look at if you're if you weren't good enough to hang it's not because you're a woman, let's be honest. Like you just weren't good enough to hang. You weren't up the peak. You weren't yeah. doing what you needed to do to to get into those waves. And so to be angry and say, fuck you, I'm done waiting, is like, well, go I mean, to Jen's point exactly, then go break down the door and get it. Yeah, I think that was the problem that most people had with Tara's article was like, if you're gonna have that mentality, the mentality that you're showcasing right now of feeling victimized and then victimizing other people in response you're never going to get what you're looking for and you're never going to get ahead and you're never going to, that's what people were. I mean, and that's the thing too is, is again, not to, I think unfortunately for her, she totally destroyed, uh, an important argument by being vitriolic again. Great piece. Well-written. I mean, if I, I would have put that on beach crit all day, every day. And just, you know, of course, knowing that the commenters would eat her alive, but still like, I thought it, you know, it's it's uh, any piece that that causes this much discussion is a fantastic piece. Agreed. It touches um, on a bunch of things that are relevant. Un- unfortunately, I think she uh, used the lineup as her metaphor instead of the surf industry. If she would have talked about the surf industry and about like how there's no way in the world I can climb any of these ladders here. There's glass yeah. ceilings top to bottom in this damn place, and you know, to, to, I would have said, you know, it's a it's a damn shame, and you are exactly right. Uh, but, but talking about the lineup, it's like, and you're now, unfortunately now she, I think made toxic an important discussion. There's a number of other issues that women have to deal with in the lineup in terms of like guys trying to hit on them and all sorts of other stuff that like, there's definitely a difference while it is a meritocracy. There's certainly men and women are treated differently in the lineup. Um, but if being, I mean, that's the thing though, if being hit on is like a real bummer and again, maybe I'm, I'm not a woman, so maybe it feels different, but it always seems like it would be flattering to be hit on no matter what, unless somebody's like, it's cause we never get hit on. Dude. I mean, precisely. If, yeah. But, but if that became your every day, everywhere you went, there's dudes looking at you, trying to hit on you, you'd it'd get old real quick. 
I mean, maybe, or you'd just be always perpetually flattered. You ever get hit on by gay dudes? Um, I, I have before, yeah. I was flattered. I was 100% flattered. Yeah, I got asked to be the date. Uh, this was good. Uh, I was with uh, the wife, but we were in Palm Springs during the white party, which is, I think, the biggest gay party of in the nation of the year or whatever. And I didn't know it was white party weekend, but it was, you know, fantastic sitting by the pool, a lot of topless dudes in the pool, having a good time. Wife and I did a lap and some dude pulled me aside and said, you guys are fabulous. I want you to be my dates basically. But I mean, it was a gay party. So me to be his date for the big white party bash that night. And I said, heck yeah. So we went and it was totally fantastic. Went to his house before, had cocktails. He was the, uh, he was, some, he was like runner-up to Mr. America USA or something like that. Wow. It was a good date. I pulled a good one. Wow. Yeah, but I was Did totally... Did get some at the end of the night? No, no, but I was flattered. The entire oh. night, I was flattered. You shut him down. I shut him down. He didn't... Did he, he make did, the move? He didn't make a move, no. He knew He he knew and respected Cersei. Cersei was there the whole time, so yeah, my wife... Well, I, I'm not saying that he's going to exclude her. I wouldn't be surprised if that oh. dude in that situation was just setting you guys up for like, let's spend the evening together. He could have been. He could have been, but yeah, nothing happened. Uh, Yep. Nothing you want to discuss on air? Nope. Um, <laughs> I haven't been hit on by a gay dude in quite a long time. I think when I was younger, there was definitely a couple of experiences. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm a little bit saddened. Yeah. Just like, be, shoot, maybe I'm past my prime. That's what I'm saying. Maybe I don't hang out you'd at be white flatters. You would be If some yeah. gay dude gave you, a, gave you a cat call, you would think, hmm, I put it together today. It's exactly what you think. Yeah. You'd think I'm looking good today. Yeah. Well, there's another element with Derek's comment about his daughter getting special treatment. I think that's actually an argument to what maybe Tara and Jen are even talking about, which is all of those free passes that she's getting an endless positive reinforcement is actually a detriment to her being a better surfer and earning her place in the lineup. The way that you get better at surfing and better at anything in life is through adversity and overcoming obstacle. And if everybody's just giving you a free pass along the way, they're setting you up for having thin skin, no character, no backbone, nor fortitude or grit or any of that sort of stuff. So Derek, I think, is kind of missing the point of, dude, no. That's hindering her ability. I know, but I think Derek would totally agree with that. I do right? too. I think Derek yeah, I would say, too. yeah, that did, that would, I mean, you know, Derek's daughter had no aspirations to become a pro surfer or anything. She was just enjoying it. And so as far as, you know, enjoying something goes, great. Like if you can have all kinds of strokes and you, you know, you don't care about it that much anyway, that's totally awesome. If, if Derek's daughter though had aspirations to be a pro surfer, then the, you know, positive reinforcement just keeps you down. Totally. And I think that's part of, when we talk about these systemic things that are plaguing kind of that create racism and sexism to where people don't even aren't even aware of them existing and how to kind of work around them or against them. This is one of those examples. This is an example where it's like, Oh, women are mistreated in the lineup. Well then I'll go out in the lineup and give her waves, you know, and the next woman I see, I'll give her a free pass on the set wave. And it's kind of like, well, that's not actually, doing any good for anybody and it's and it's also paternalistic too right like me even saying it is paternalistic yeah me as the man i'm going to gift this this girl a wave exactly which is yeah i mean but i guess if you using michael ciamarella's kind of comment as a reference point if he's a better surfer and he knows that he can back paddle and he sees let's say a guy and he goes no no no, i am gonna back paddle him 
because F him and make him work for it. And hopefully then he'll try to back paddle me and that'll teach him something. And then he sees a woman and doesn't back paddle her. That's where it becomes an issue. But but if, if I was sitting in the lineup and Mikey C back paddled me, you know, first time out of the gate, I would just, I mean, I wouldn't punch him in the head, but, but I would definitely kick my board at him and then go have words, right? Yeah. Like, uh, where I think it just all depends on like every lineup in the world, I think is different every morning, depending on who's out there. And I just, I think there's some level it, surfing is clearly selfish. It's about getting yours, but it's also about, okay, I've had one. I'm going to let somebody else have one. Right. Where, I mean, you have to have that kind of mentality if you're going to yeah. surf to some, to some extent in, you know, maybe not if you're out at lower trestles or something like that, but where it's just, you know, I think there's, there's few or definitely certain breaks in the world that are a dog eat dog where you're just not going to get a wave if you're letting people have waves, right? Like right. snapper pipeline, uh, I'd say lowers when that on a pumping swell. Yeah. But I think most breaks in the world, you can let people have waves and you're still going to get yours, right? I mean, you don't have to be hustling back out to prime position in the peak every single time. And I think that's really more of the issue here is I don't know that it's so much based on a sexual uh, divide. A lot of it's just testosterone based and males have more testosterone than females do just physiologically. And so the guys who are doing that, who are paddling back to the peak, have more testosterone than the guys who, like you and you're saying your tactic is. So I think that's more of what it has to do with than anything. But even the te like testosterone filter, I, I think there should be more decorum in the lineup. And I, I think generally there is, right? Like I never, or I mean, how many times do you, like when I get burned generally, uh, or when I, when I remember getting burned, uh, it was like <laughs> when you used to surf. when I used to surf, yeah, it was some guy who either wasn't paying attention or was and did it on purpose and whatever. But like you can deal with these things pretty quickly. It's not totally. And, and if there's a guy who's doing it habitually, unless he's like ripping so hard, everybody loves it. Like he'll get blocked out eventually. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you said about the merit, things in the lineup tend to take care of themselves. I think they do totally. And well, the other thing is the guy who is doing that habitually who is the testosterone filled like meathead tends to not be having the most fun. It's almost like that guy is so aggro that he's not even enjoying a session. Even if he's surfing better yeah. than everybody else, it's kind of like, well, dude, let's just let him do his thing because he's clearly dealing with some other issues. Yeah. And I'm just going to go. And then once you kind of shift that headspace, you're appreciative of the one or two foot wave that you just got, even if there's fewer of them, you know, so it just does work itself out. I think it always does too. Um, moving on to Bobby Kim on the hundreds, he spoke, like you said, at SEMA about why a clothing brands and he's dealing in streetwear, why a clothing brand's success in 2018 banks on include inclusion and racial diversity. And this is a direct quote from him in his speech. He said, I'm doing my due diligence, even in doing my due diligence, even I was surprised by how fast our nation is changing and how brown our customer is becoming. And with more than 250 million migrant migrants blurring lines worldwide, this is not just an American trend. It's a global one. If you are a brand owner anywhere on the planet, I believe the following information is crucial in understanding your customer and surviving the next decades of business. Most everyone I surf with wouldn't dress in a quote surf label outside of what they wear in the water. Surfers have nearly doubled in the past 15 years, yet the marketplace for surf products has dwindled and the industry is under duress. Even many of the sponsored athletes would rather wear something trendier than that 
or less identifiable as a traditional surf brand that pays their bills. He gives the examples of mega successful streetwear brands, the hundred Supreme anti-social social club. Supreme just won like the designer award, like writ large. I mean, for the St. Laurent's and did it? Yeah. It won like brand of the year at the most prestigious uh, event. Yep. He goes on to say, I'm going to zero in on just one theory as to streetwear's resounding success in 2018. And this hypothesis also intersects with an obvious void that I see and feel in surf. It's the presence and power of racial diversity, end quote. Yeah. So he's saying that the success of those streetwear brands is directly reflective on including racial diversity doing, you know, I think it's Adidas that does the, um, collab with Kanye for the Yeezys and stuff like that. So clearly the surf biz from boards to clothes to media is mainly run by white males. What are your thoughts on this? Is it racist? I don't think it's racist. I think he's absolutely right though, that it's, I mean, so I think there's a couple things, right? Like where surfing happens tends to be by and large white. I mean, you know, uh, upper class coastal areas tend to be white. And so, you know, and the surfing nations, I mean, the Western surfing nations, right? We have Australia, which is, you know, majority white. We have uh, America, which is majority white. And then we have Brazil, which of course is not, you know, not majority white, majority Brazilian. Um, I think uh, Bobby's point though is exactly right in that um, the, like kind of the rise of, of, or hip hop culture right now is the, and for the last, it feels like 10 years has been the biggest driver of, you know, our fashion economy, uh, and surf is not part of that at all. Um, and so if somebody could have figured out, or if somebody does figure out, I think there's a a way to marry those things to make surf. And I think people are, it's just not in surf. There's a, I mean, he's Italian, so he's still a white guy, but he has a brand called Palm angels, which is like Uh a, it's not a surf brand, but he's like, um, taking surf motif and making it a streetwear brand. And so I don't know why, uh, the surf brands can't do that themselves. And I, I mean, I do know why it's because they have old, you know, 50, 60 year old white dudes running the ship or like, ah, still, yeah, bro. Sick. Like where I think the, the mentality of the surf industry is, is as far as making money on clothes is just gone. Right. Those, the 50 year old man, white man who grew up in Huntington beach, has no idea what the kids want to wear. So Bobby, by the way, makes an interesting point in that he goes, this isn't just a moral decision. He's sure. like, this has nothing to no, do with morality. Financial. It's a financial decision. We want to make more money, which by the way, is the best driver for anything that always motivates everybody. Yep. So let's not ignore that, that this isn't altruistic by any stretch. I guess um, the problem that I had with his premise, I think, oh, okay. Before that, firstly, it's wise to take cues from people who do things successfully in a similar business in a different space, doing it successfully. Why not take cues from them? I think the problem that I had with it is, look, you want to market to your demographic and you have to know who your demographic is. His implication is that surf is oblivious to who their demographic is. It turns out you can have much more diverse, broader clientele than who you guys are marketing to. You guys are dumb for marketing to white people, basically. Right? Isn't that an implication? No, because I think what he's saying is you're not giving the people what they want. A white kid is still wearing ethnic, you know, or whatever. Like, 
I look at my stepdaughter, right? It's nonstop supreme. Uh, she likes hundreds. Like it's, I mean, th- that's what white kids are wearing now. So it's not like you're from because it's driven by design and fashion, not because of there's racially diverse people wearing the clothing, right? And she wants to be considered part of that group. Precisely, no, right. no. Okay. It's like she's wearing it because she likes it, right? But right. she likes everything that you know. She listens to rap. She likes every part of this thing. Uh, and so I think to his point about his surf friends don't even wear the surf labels, which is the problem, right? So surf is so, clearly is clearly not reaching their even their target audience, right? That's and, the problem. And it's by being, but it's by being bland or by making something that people don't want to wear, they're not reaching it, right? And so if street culture is trending and has been trending, and not only trending, I mean again, Supreme won the biggest award of any fashion house of the entire year hundreds smokes it like there's hundreds of examples of you know like going strong in the day and age of fast fashion right like so to be able for the hundreds of the supremes of the world to be able to go against the zaras and h&ms of the world and succeed is an absolutely incredible feat yeah um if surf could figure out i think and, and I, I i agree with him 100 percent. it's a different point of view in the surf industry i think would be would net different products that maybe finally again would be desirable. And I don't think it needs to be a, you know, brown person to bring that, but I think it couldn't hurt like to bring in a different perspective on, I mean, what if you did, what if you had, you know, Bobby Kim himself, what if you did a collab, you know, Bobby Kim, he's Korean with Quicksilver or with uh, somebody to do a capsule, right. And just see how it goes, which Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it would, I mean, these things take time to, to get into the, right. the public consciousness. But still, I, I agree with him 100% that the, the, just the lack of vision in the surf industry for what the consumer actually wants, I won't attribute it to that there's no you know racially diverse people in there. But I, I think that it would definitely wouldn't hurt because the white 50-year-old man running the thing has run it so hard into the ground that why not give somebody else a chance? From a design standpoint, like the... Uh regardless of who your demographic is that you're marketing to, it's undeniable that like music and even food and film and all these other things influence design, right? And clothing design and all that sort of stuff. So to kind of have blinders on and not acknowledge that who Childish Gambino is and infuse that into the design of your clothing and your marketing and all that sort of stuff is a misstep for surfing for and sure. not and not as pure pure because if they did it as pure cultural appropriation it would be really mm-hmm. ugly too if some white 50 year old guy said okay hey like you know oh i just saw that this is america video uh let's incorporate some of that into our into our surfer right. it would be the biggest clanging gong ever um, to, but to get that energy, I think, you know, that's where the energy to is. To understand it and to be infused with it. Which I would love to have, you know, like a, like kind of a Chicano, you know, LA, East LA, born and raised, you know, long generational Mexican kid who surfs, you know, have it like, how fun would that be to see some, Bobby. I mean, exactly. Bobby Martinez like yeah. to, to do, I mean, and there's, you know, hundreds of people like that. Like it's not a like a lot of Mexican surf. And so why not bring them in and infuse, you know, exciting Chicano culture into the industry? I don't know. I mean, yeah. And so I think again, Bobby Kim is right. And the, and the surf industry is, has been remiss and it continues to be remiss by, you know, and I would hate for them just, okay, oops, we have to hire, you know, somebody ethnic now, hurry up. 
because it's not just about that. There's so many talented people out there and it would just be a matter of, of sitting down and giving it some thought. Yeah. And I just think the surf industry rarely, rarely, rarely ever stops and gives anything thought. It was an interesting point that he made um, about nobody that he knows, even in surfing, wears surf apparel. And even the pro, and then he also said, even the pro surfers. I mean, remember that when Dane's riding for Quicksilver and like not wearing Quicksilver sure. stuff? Sure. Like, I mean, that was the whole thing is how small could you get a logo, right? How, yeah. Like, I, I mean, which is, yeah, clearly you're not making something that Dane is proud of. Not that. Do you know anybody that wears surf clothing? Yeah, no, I mean, not really. I really don't either. And I'm not, and I want to support the industry, by the way. It's like, I'm all for. I'll, I'll do regular, like, hey, go buy something surfy today, right? And I've done it before on Beach, like where I went out and bought like five individual products from surf brands that I liked because it's important to support the industry and all that. But at some point, it's like welfare. Like, if you don't make something that I would buy naturally, then maybe maybe shut the doors down. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's an interesting study. I mean, and and I think they are, you know, to their probably they're saying, well, yeah, look, it is hip hop culture and all this is what's happening. So, of course, people aren't buying surf. But the surf, the death of surf happened or the decline, massive decline in surf happened well before I think hip hop came on as the as the or street culture, what a street wear as the as the primary mover. Um, surf was already dying. And also how do you not look at what streetwear is doing and say, mm, let's, let's try to figure this out somehow. Cause this is clearly what kids are wearing. Yeah. And there's, there's no, it, you know, like it could fit just as well. Like, I mean, gotcha back in the day was kind of as streetwear as you could be right. Where you could, I think, and people went crazy for it. Uh, like surfers and non-surfers alike, where I think you could do the same thing, uh, with the surf label where you just take the surf label and you give it you know, more edge or I, I don't, I'm not a designer, so I have no, but there was a time in history where surf wear was leading, maybe not fashion, but certainly leading cultural trends 100%. and people who had no connection to the beach at all wanted to buy OP exactly because it represented the beach. Surf. But I, I just think you could broaden your, the, yeah, the vision of what of the, what the beach is, right? Of course. I mean, yeah, what yeah, is yeah, the yeah. beach? What is surf culture? And especially with Brazil, a massive, massive, not only market, but like Brazil ha and Japan and there's countries around the world that is not, you know, coastal Australia and coastal California slash Florida where you could draw. I mean, you know, Japanese surf culture is vibrant and amazing. Brazilian obviously is vibrant and amazing. Chilean surf culture, Mexican surf culture. Like there's all these surf oh, yeah, cultures yeah. around the world that you could draw from. Uh, Indonesian surf culture. I mean, most of surf cultures around the world are not ethnically white. And so why aren't they, the brands incorporating, you know, not only elements of design, but people like, you know, I know that like Rizal uh, from Tangent. Indonesia. Yeah. He works for Hurley. Right. Right. And so there, there are brands doing it. But I think you could do that a ton more and up and down, right? To have Brazilians uh, or Japanese or, you know, whoever, Mexicans in the uh, hierarchical structure of the U.S. surf or, you know, U.S. and Australian surf businesses. And they're remiss for doing that. And I so I completely, completely agree with Bobby. Yeah, Kim. Yeah, I do, too. Um, well, I know you have a hard out in like eight minutes. So in the interest of time, let's jump ahead to barrel or not. Nah. Let's do it. We haven't solved all of those issues yet, but barrel or not nah is also in keeping with the theme of solving all of our cultural insensitivity I, issues. I feel we've, I feel we've solved them pretty well, okay. ex except for making gay and Mongo. Okay. Well, let's get to that then in barrel or not. Nah. Yeah. Okay. So barrel or not nah, number one, using the word retard. Here's why. <sighs> yeah. 
I've seen this word come up five times in the last three days. Yep. Twice in the Beach Grit comment section. I heard it on a podcast when I was driving here right now. I was at dinner two nights ago and my friend used it. Um, and this is a friend. He used it as a pejorative. He has a retarded sister who's 50 years old and he's basically, she lives remotely, but he's her primary caregiver. So I'm like, shoot, does that give him impunity? Is he allowed to use it because of his sister? Like I am confused. The word went away for a decade. Yeah. In my youth, people used it all the time, went away for a decade, never heard it. It was a bad word. And now I'm seeing it all the time now. So what are your thoughts? As much as it pains me to say, I'm a nah, I love the word, but yeah, it's time for, and Mongo, I'm going to, I'm going to stay, say Mongo should stay, but gay and retard should go as much as it pains me. Do you use the word? I'm sure I do. I, de- I don't use gay anymore at all. Like I've learned yeah. my lesson for gay, gay. How'd you away. learn your lesson? I mean, what it happened? wasn't, it wasn't one thing, but I think, I think I really made the, like went off when it, when people first started being sensitive about it and saying, yeah. come on, it's just a word who cares and da, 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 da. But then kind of hearing enough, uh, reports of how it made people feel made me think, okay, well, oops. And yeah. same with retard, right? Like I think it would, if somebody, if I was out saying, oh, that's retarded and somebody who was, you know, mentally or physically handicapped overheard me and felt sad, then that ain't worth using the the damn word anymore. I mean, it's a, it is a, it's a real poke at, at a, at a very vulnerable group of people, I... an unnecessary one. I don't use the word. Uh, I used it in my youth when it was socially acceptable and I don't use the word anymore, but I'm not, I, um, I do it for the exact reason that you just said is like, I'm worried that somebody would actually get their feelings hurt by it. But there's a part of me that recognizes like the word is a, it's a technical term, right? Like there's thing. Yeah, exactly. There's something that gets retarded at a certain even in mechanics and machinery and things like that. Like, oh, this thing got retarded at this phase and it never moved to the next phase or whatever. So I think that there's times where you can use it and just uh, where it isn't a derogatory statement. You're not poking at somebody and going, hey, that person is a, you're just saying, oh, this thing got retarded at this phase or something. Definitely. I mean, in that context. But even then, I now don't want to use it in that context because of its association in this other context. You know what I mean? Um, Samantha, Samantha B there's a bunch of stuff in the news, obviously Roseanne, Samantha B was in the news, um, for referring to Ivanka Trump as a C U N T. Oh, it's a good one. Cunt. Yeah. Can we not say that on air? I don't know. Well, we can do whatever we want, but it, this is the question. Yeah. Cunt. So in her apology though, she says that she's been using the word. She's used the word on her show in the past multiple times in an attempt to reclaim the word and turn it into a badge of honor. Using it as an insult rather than reclaiming it, she says, cross the line in that particular example. I was also listening to a podcast on Bikram, uh, Bikram Chowdhury, the yogi. And he's obviously implicated in a bunch of sexual uh, harassment cases. He's fled down to Mexico. People use his name on their yoga studios. Some people have stopped using his name because they don't want to be associated with it. Some people are on his side, so they continue using his name. And then there's a third group of people who are using the name for that exact reason. They're just like, look, Bikram yoga has become this- A thing in and of itself. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, by giving hit the, the word Bikram power by removing, I mean, that is giving it power. By removing the name, screw him. Who, who even cares about that guy? It's bigger and better than him, yeah, than the person. It's Bikram yoga. 
So what are your thoughts on reclaiming the word? I, I mean, I think, I think sure. Like if you want to go do that, uh, more power to you if you want to try to reclaim something. I think words are are fascinating and fun. And I think as they come in and out of fashion or or suddenly words that are infused with so much more, you know, meaning or feeling, and then later that meaning or feeling drains away, right? Like I just see language as this big fun dance. And for me as a writer, to be able to play in this big fun dance is awesome. So, you know, it's all about, for me, making choices about, okay, I know that like the word cunt, for example, right? I know this is offensive. I'm going to use it because I want to get a reaction. I know that I'm being offensive when I'm using it, but you know, like to be able to use offense as a literary tool, if I got that taken away from me, I would have very little left. Yeah. Um, so I'm all about the dialogue. I don't think that, I think it's so fluid though, that you can never say, yes, you know, let's reclaim words. No, words are bad. Let's we we can't do that. Or I just think it doesn't matter. I think it's a case by case basis. It and, is. And depending on how you're using it, especially like Samantha B. She never apologized, right? She's a comedian, isn't she? Yeah. And it's funny, and she got to call Ivanka Trump a cunt, and she got publicity for it. So more power to yeah. her, right? She she achieved what she set out to achieve. The other problem is there's so many different subcultures and you can't be an expert in all of them and up to date on how fast these words are changing and sure. which ones are offensive and which ones aren't. So you're going to slip up at times and say something that's offensive, even if you have zero uh, intent, totally. negative intent behind it. So my issue also is kind of like, look, we need a grace period. If, um, I mean, this was before my time, but like it, it was colored referring to African-Americans as colored people was acceptable for a certain period of time. Then you're supposed to refer to them as blacks. And there needs to be a grace period of when those words transition, because if I just jump in and refer to, um, Caitlyn Jenner as Bruce Jenner, cause I was used to him being Bruce Jenner my entire life. And then one day I refer to him as Bruce and people, then I lose my job because I did it on Twitter publicly. Yeah. And now he's Caitlyn and everybody vilifies me. It's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa have some grace here. You are now enacting the same amount of uh, lack of sensitivity with me and my understanding of it that I exhibited. You know what I mean? I completely agree. I think, I think that in using trouble words, you have to be really self-aware when you're using it, you know, like, why am I using it uh, to what end and then defend it. If you choose to use an offensive word, then be able to defend it. Right. I think if you accidentally use an offensive word, then people should give all kinds of grace. And, you know, if you choose like what, no, you know, she is a cunt or whatever, then people can get whatever they want to do after that. But I just think that it's all about choice. And, and I mean, it's what makes language, I think very fun and English, one of the funnest of all, because of all these you know, words coming in and words going out and people getting mad and people not caring and whatever it is. Like it's a, it's a fun dance. And I think it's a pure case by case. Okay. Well, uh, for the record, using the word retard, we're both going, nah, nah, let's cut it out. Yeah. Even in the beach grit comments section, slow it down, boys. Retard it, retard it, retard the use. There you go. All right. Barrel or not. Number two, running men's and women's CT events simultaneously. Uh, if the waves are good barrel. Okay. I don't rather than having two separate waiting periods. I mean, if you're, I think it's all about when you're getting the best waves possible. Right. And so if the best possible waves are overlapping, I mean, or running at the same time, I mean, then you just got to do it. So in at Karamas, we had success because it was a week straight of head high barreling waves. Everybody got good waves. My issue with running them co-currently is that, 
uh, you then have to make decisions about if the waves are better on one day, who gets to run in these conditions. Exactly. So it's almost better to have two separate oh, waiting periods. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're talking about the waiting period. Not, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah, I think they definitely need to have two separate waiting periods. It, it just puts everybody in a bad situation where somebody's going to get the short stick. Well, and I get I get that the you know WCL has limited resources yeah. and it's expensive to put stuff up, but I, I truly think the men and the women should be at different, different locations at different times anyways, so that is never an issue. I think that getting the short stick is a bummer for either group, and somebody's gen generally going to get the short stick oh, when you're yeah. when you're running the events in the same concurrently and they're running them at uluwatu right now concurrently they're running them at j bay in the same waiting period as well so we're going to run into that issue over and over again yep. so yeah i think wsl is figured a, out uh, i guess though if the wsl things. is going to do that then you got to i think uh have it be equal right so if men got better waves this day then the women get the better waves the next day right like where you can't just have it be you know, okay, yeah, when the wind turns, then the women go out. Yeah. All right, barrel or not, number three, public urination. Mmm, is a good one. I think it's a it's one of the great joys about being a man, right? Well, so that's why I bring it up, is this is divided by uh, sex lines, sure. right? And but Gender lines. You know, but women, there's great joys in being women too. And so they can enjoy the the things that they get to enjoy. I will enjoy public urination. Barrel, uh, a big barrel, a big stand-up, gaping, dong in the wind barrel. See, I'm going to argue it is barrel, but there needn't be any shame for a woman to urinate in public. I think like we need no. to diminish the shame oh, associated sure. with that. You like if we pull over on the side of the road on a road on a road trip, and there's men and women in the car, the men are going to be willing to pee on the side of the road, and the women are going to wait till the next Starbucks. You know, like we don't need to do that anymore. You can pee on the side of the road. Sure, one hundred percent. I get it's it's democratic public yeah. urination, except for the fact that it's just so much easier as a man. Is it, it makes it a thing that men can do more places. Like, I mean, you could step out of a bar if you want to be a real asshole and pee on the wall of the bar, and nobody will really know what you're doing if you're a man. I'm going gnaw with that. That's I gross. Think public no, I'm saying yeah. I'm saying that's gross. Like it smells bad. Nobody that's wants that. Yeah, totally. Like I'm not saying that's a good thing to do, but I'm saying you can do it as a man, and you, be, can. you can be discreet about it in a way that a woman can never be discreet or as discreet urinating in public. There is a discretion thing, um, but nobody is confused about what the guy is doing. We're all well aware that the guy sure. has it whipped out and he's peeing on the wall. It's pretty gross. He's not just looking at the wall. No, nope. you know? he might be. No. So public urination out in nature, barrel. Public urination barrel. in the city, nah. Depends though. I'm going to go depends. Like I think it's totally... Wear, you'd wear depends and uh, just go in the depends? No, no. I think... Oh. I mean, that would be nice too. But I think if you're like peeing on the back of a dumpster, that's okay. Like I think there's places in the city that are okay for public urination. If you're pissing in a uh, abandoned lot somewhere and there's like a bunch of shitty like broken glass and stuff on the ground, I think that's good. I you think. can get away with that. But even your dumpster example, dumpsters don't need to be filthy because they hold trash. I find myself at dumpsters not even wanting to open the lid because sure. it's so disgusting. How about we all just treat it where we put the trash inside it? You don't need to pee on the outside. You don't need to throw your trash at the dumpster. Sure. But the pro I think the most dumpsters are places where you have like, you know, say restaurant employees coming out or in a hurry. Yeah. Like people don't have time to scrub up. So the dumpster is already filthy. And does, that dumpster area, I think, does probably regularly get cleaned. So... Uh, peeing on the yeah. dumpster zone to me is fine. That is the Unlo worst job in the world, cleaning dumpsters. It would be a bummer. But I'm sure they break out the, I'm sure they have to, right, by law, break out the the industrial hose every once in a while and just squirt the thing down. 
Yeah, but those things, what happens in one city doesn't happen in the next city. Sure. You know what I mean? And I'm not about peeing in front of a dumpster, behind the dumpster. Okay, needs to be behind. All right, I'm taking people, notes. You don't, want people, you don't want people to step in your pee. This is all going in my urination spreadsheet. Great. Uh, final barrel or not, we got to get you out of here. Safe spaces. Oh, the biggest nah ever. The biggest hey, nah The ever. flat C. Yeah. Biggest nah ever. I hate safe spaces. I hate the idea of the it. The concept is so asinine. Yeah. It's so counterproductive. And it's you're only going to... I mean, I... I you're only ever going to raise a generation of little pussies. Fully agree. Safe spaces, nah. All right, Chaz, uh, do you think this was the most important episode of The Grit we've ever had? I think so. I think that we really did work through linguistic issues. We worked through sexism. I think sexism is more or less solved at this point. And I think uh, ethnicity uh, or racial issues are also like 90% of the way to being solved. So I think it was good. Uh, well, you and I are middle-class, middle-aged white males. Does that diminish the value of this conversation? 100%. Does it really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it does at all. It does for sure. We only, I mean, that's the thing. Is no, it, I mean, I would love to include other people in this conversation. Of course, we didn't but have being, the foresight to do it. But. I mean, I love it. I love being a white, blonde, blue-eyed male, but it also gives me a, uh, I know that I'm seeing through a pair of eyes that are blue with my blonde hair on top and my yeah. white skin in front that not everybody sees the world the same way as I do. And I know that I'm gifted things because of that. Right. Oh, completely. And I agree. I see, I understand the filter that I'm looking through as well. And that I've had privileges that other people haven't had less than some as well, but I don't, I certainly don't feel bad about it. And number two, it doesn't diminish the value of the conversation. Like your point is just as relevant as anybody else's as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, sure. But, but it is through a certain filter. Yep. And, and I think being aware of the filter, like to say that whatever we said or whatever I feel is, is God's honest truth. Like it's only ever, you know, my, I can only know life as a white man and I'm not exactly. ashamed or embarrassed. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm even proud. White pride, I think, is how we should end it today. <laughs> should we be proud? Um, I, I certainly have pride, and I don't have shame about my privilege. I don't have any pride in my whiteness, though. That's a straight accident. You know what? Pride is actually one of the seven deadly sins. It is. I feel proud about certain things more about based... not No, not based on kind of my skin color, but based on... Things that I've accomplished, things that I've done, ways that I've treated sure. people. Sure. I mean, probably. I just don't know how you could be ever proud of your skin color because it's something you, yeah. had, you never chose. Like yeah. it, was an, it was what accidentally got gifted to you. Yeah. Uh, all right, Chaz. Beachgrit.com, at Reports from Hell, and then SurfSplendorPodcast.com, at SurfSplendor. And join us next week in Florida, come Florida to, Surf Film Festival. Come to Florida, please. And also come to Warwick, 730 on June 12th. Right on, Chaz. See you folks there. Good work. Someone